Hello? Hey, brother. Hey, what's going on? I'm okay. good. I'm messing around the computer. Okay, well, um, you know, this has probably been the, the hardest interview to actually schedule, but um, it's it's a big one for me just because, uh, you know, I think you've influenced, you know, you've been a huge influence on me, and I think what you've done is influenced a whole generation of graffiti writers. So, um I guess let's just start out, tell everyone who you are. Uh, I am Power, and in, gosh, uh, 87, maybe, I started a magazine with a friend of mine named Charlie called Ghetto Art, and when Charlie got too busy with life, I decided to break off and start making the magazine color and change the name to Can't Control, and that was, like, maybe the summer of 88. Charlie got busy pretty fast, but we stayed friends, and we stayed active painting. Um, we just didn't have any time to do the mag anymore, and uh, that worked out, because, you know, stuff goes, and sometimes it's better to have one chef. Um, so I, I just kept growing with it, and as... Graffiti started to change, and and some of the things that we were doing in LA, we thought we were going to do just you know a handful of us. Yeah, we soon realized that the numbers didn't matter with the exposure, and one of those was the freight trains. And I remember back in '82. There was a club, a punk rock club in L.A. called Godzilla's. And punk rock is the way that I got into graffiti art. And that's like, my years were like 79 to 84. And, um, but in 82, this club Godzilla's was right across the street from the train layup. Hmm. And so we used to go and get into the boxcars to drink. We were all underage. And <laughs> then we would write our names, we'd write punk rock band names and stuff on the trains, and there was a couple times where those trains came back, and it didn't really dawn on me because we didn't know about being all city and all that stuff in those days, but I do remember later remembering that those, those trains came back, and so when we started to think about the other graffiti, the subway graffiti stuff that we all got into, and we started thinking about the freight trains. It made sense if we hit the right trains and and we hit big enough and bold enough that we'd probably get some good exposure. Okay, so when did the name Power come about? Power was early. Like, I started with Mart, M-A-R-T, and I started with Tim, um, and... I think I did pack for a little while, but those were all like within just a few months of each other. And power was early, so like eighty six, maybe, okay. maybe eighty five, maybe eighty five. Graffiti was funny for me because the punk rock stuff. I started painting, and there's books like California Hardcore. You can see my old tag, and there's some other punk rock books. Or we would just put up punk rock bands, and we all had nicknames. Mine was Moocher back then, and 
that stuff goes pretty far back. And then when I found the, the subway graffiti stuff, 83, 84, in high school, we messed around with it for a little while. This guy named Duke was influential. And him and I had come out of some of the Cholo stuff a little bit because some of the punk rock graffiti kind of had a crossover into Cholo writing. And, but I left it for a little while. I, I kind of closed shop because I got into a band um, for like 84 to like, I don't know, early 86. I got back into it. So I missed a little while there when LA was just starting to kind of pioneer. But I had started earlier and the the Moocher name, because of the punk rock shows were just all over the place. We'd go from Orange County into Hollywood and all over that. I guess looking back, if the rules were, you know, legitimate, I guess I was all city with that name. But it just, you know, my mind wasn't in that world. It was different. Mm-hmm. We were just getting up to do it. And because um, I had stuff all the way from, I don't know if you know L.A., but from Coast of Mesa all the way to, like, deep into the West Valley. It was pretty pretty widespread. Huh. And that was that was just marker tags. And we got, well, no, no not really. I take that back, actually. But we had spray paint, but we weren't doing filled-in things. It's funny with graffiti, because if you listen to the old-timers talk about the subway days, it, I don't know, it seems like everyone has to start the same way without the knowledge. Like, you read those old stories with Flint and some of those dudes, and they would complain about not wanting to use a whole spray can with some fill-in and just about getting up as much as possible. And without knowing it, not knowing the history, we ended up doing the same thing. You know, we would just why fill something in or, you know, why go so big? It's just a matter about getting up as much as crazy as possible. And, uh, but that was a whole different scene. It wasn't even connected to the rules yet. Hmm. And so once all that New York stuff came over, then it was fun to sort of learn it and, you know, stand back and go weird. We were kind of practicing that without knowing. So, uh, and, uh <laughs> this might be a weird question, but what were some of the bands that you were riding on, on boxcars and stuff? What were some um, of the bands that you were into? Well, and I we guess... had wanted Armed Forces, and we had, I was in a band called Secret Affair for a while, and but I was friends with TSOL, and there was a little bit of holdover from Vicious Circle, but that was a little bit outside of my world because those guys were so deep into Huntington Beach and stuff. Oh, and I lived in Hollywood. But um, the Germs, of course, and you know, Black Flag and stuff, and um, China White. There was a band called The Stains, and theirs was a circle of an X through it. So we used to put that up. and But we had our own stuff, too. And then I knew some dude, there was a little... The punk scene in L.A. really like got broken up into gang stuff, so I was friends with these guys from FFF, so we put that up. And then there was guys that I knew from the beach, and you know, from there was a gang in Hollywood called the Lads, and we were all friends with them. It was kind of kind of just a big crossover. So, um, so how did that transition into, I guess? what we think of today is like the graffiti scene. Well, it seems like, I mean, I don't know. I can't say the last, you know, maybe five years or something, but all the way up until then, as far as I know, and from all the letters I get and the people that I know and the people that I was writing with, once the rules came in like 83, at least once like left New York in 83, at least for my crowd, um, the rules stuck. 
So whatever those subway dudes pioneered, it seemed to spread throughout the world and stick. And if you called yourself a writer and if you were getting up and, you know, you were following certain styles, then we all definitely, you know, fell in line with those rules and we were such a cool scene and we were so into it and we wanted to, you know, graffiti's funny because you, you're so individual and you're so out there alone pioneering stuff, but at the same time, you, you're absolutely following a set standard that was you know, created. God, I don't know. You read those articles. It seems like those are, you know, stuff started in 875 or something. And besides from hand styles and things and, and pioneering with different letters, the like the core basis of why we all do it and the things that we believe it seems like none of that's changed and it's different than other things because you know music things change constantly you know different types of art things change but graffiti once those rules hit everybody followed it you know the usual thing you know tags will go a throw up can go over a tag and a piece can go over a throw up you know all that stuff but uh so for us, it was it made sense, and and it was great to see it. And, and LA is one of those cities, you know, you get exposed to so many things, and you know what's new or not. And so it was really fun for us to check out something new. And we all grew up with the gang stuff, and that's the same thing I keep talking about with the connection with the punk. Because those clubs were in fucked up neighborhoods, and like the only other people with short hair back then were solos. So we always got along, and they thought we were crazy, and you know, we thought they were crazy. A lot of the shows were in their neighborhood, so we always got along with each other. And then we started realizing, well, it's such an easy way to expose your band or whatever, but just getting up. And that's all they did. You know, we started watching different neighborhoods would put their stuff up, and you couldn't help but notice it. So, uh, okay, so tell us where the name Power came from. I mean, how'd you come Power, up with uh, Power's an Irish name. My whole family's Irish, and we're really into the whole struggles over there and blocking out the English and stuff, so I've always had a lot of Irish pride. And, and Power's is a... Um, it's called Power's Gold Label Irish Whiskey, John Lane's Distillery. <laughs> and I've always known the name from that, and then it's also a famous Irish name in some of the struggles against England, and... So I just said, fuck it, that sounds cool. I'll go for it. And then, you know, you start to think of a million meanings, and then a lot of times I'll spell it P-O-W-A-R, just for fun, and so it sort of fits. It's like, I know that it's it's sort of Irish history, and then at the same time, it seems like it works for graffiti. Cool. So uh, do you remember the first piece that you saw? I mean, the first, um, I guess, what we think of now as graffiti? Well, you know, I guess a lot, anything in person, I remember this guy, that guy Duke I was talking about, he copied uh, Stay High Stickman, like, Stay High, just kind of like the Stickman, but it had a body, mm-hmm. like, kind of a square, you know, square, and the legs and arms were coming off it, and I remember seeing that, and I was like, what the fuck is that? And then, <laughs> um, but on TV and stuff, I knew... I knew about the graffiti stuff, um, 
because of Welcome Back Cotter, those trains are running in the middle, in the beginning, and that um, that band Blondie had worked with uh, Lee and Fab Five Freddy, and so I always knew about that stuff, and then there's been articles and magazines and stuff talking about it, but um, unless I was unconscious, it's funny to think how much exposure the subway stuff didn't get outside of New York. I mean, that stuff was just so booming, and it, it seemed like you never saw articles about it and, or, you know, news stories or something. But there would be little blurbs of it that would come and go, like those ones. Welcome back, Cotter. I remember thinking, man, what the hell? That's their, their mass transit. <laughs> and, oh, and then Warriors, of course, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, the gang stuff started getting more and more into punk. Warriors was important because that was like right there in 79 and like there was this band slash gang called Vicious Circle in LA and they were like some of the pioneers in the fighting and stuff that happened in the scene and those guys ended up becoming TSOL but they they would paint their faces white and they totally got that from the Warriors you know and it's, it's you know it's shocking to see this fucking guy coming at you with a white face and um so it's fun, you know, it's just always that in-your-face kind of thing and, you know, total exposure and underground and, you know, people just shock value and graffiti just totally fit that. But um, I guess the first live stuff I saw was that, like some things in 83, 84. I have a yearbook from 83 where some people got up. They were, they knew I liked graffiti, but we, I just wasn't totally tuned in yet to New York stuff. So, uh, how did you hook up with Charlie? With who? With Charlie. Oh, Charlie? Well, this the house that we used to chill out with um, some of my punker friends, and we used to get up in the neighborhood, and we actually did some pretty big things. He lived down the street, and one night we were at this guy Robert's house, which was that main house, and his garage faced an alley, and we were all chilling and drinking beer and stuff, and... We looked across the street, and these kids, there was two on the corner, and they were looking both ways and totally, you know, scoping out something, and we thought, oh, fuck, these guys are going to rob something, but instead they started getting up, and they did the big mural on the side of this wall, and they, you know, big goofy characters from back, those old styles, and, you know, lots of, you know, those sparkles where you just make a bunch of X's, <laughs> you know, all that really great old school stuff, and, and I mean, we just sat there watching, like, what the hell is this? And then we ended up leaving, um, but I got a job at Costco, which was right around the corner, I was like, and he worked there. And so he saw, I don't know, he saw something about me that he made me, he hit me up, and he said, you know, what do you write and stuff, and so we started talking. But I didn't even know what that meant then, what do you, what do you write? I just took it as gangster shit, so I was like, I went into sort of a little thing. But I didn't, you know, we just started talking, and then I started to learn more and more and more, which was cool. It was fun, because he got off on the fact that I was I was so down, but I didn't know all the rules yet. And then at the same time, he was just barely learning them, because he don't think he had been to New York yet. But, so just, know, was, just so everybody knows who you're talking about, uh, what are some of his aliases? People might. Here Charlie, DTK, um, House, and Eight, and Ocho, um, Torn, and T.O. 
all those names. Okay. But they, those guys, it was him and Genius. No, I don't know if Genius knows him and Blinky. Um, I forget what his name, but they, they were all in the same neighborhood, and they got subway art pretty early, so they started to learn, learn all that stuff. And and Charlie's a good artist, anyways. You know, like, especially for letters. Like, he's the guy that should have worked for like a comic book, like doing the letters. Hmm. Really strong hand control, like even just with his signatures and stuff. You know, like even just writing the letter, it's awesome. Really cool straight letters. And uh, so it was fun. It was really fun because he was just learning it, and then I was just a little bit behind him. But I already had the heart for getting up, and I had already been painting for three years with the punk rock show. And um, but he didn't know. Uh, he didn't know some of the dudes that I knew in the city because of the gangster stuff. And, like, that was Duke and a couple other dudes. And so it was kind of cool. You know, we both offered a lot to it. And then, so that's what did I say on 85 or something, 83, 84. Yeah, it gets around there. And then we lost touch. I think I have the time right. It's been a while. But it's it's this is how it went. If I have somebody years wrong, it's pretty close. And, um... So we lost touch, and then I took off to Europe, and no, I got back. We started the mag. So what what inspired that? I mean, were there other graffiti like zines around at the time, or what? From what the you only remember? one that only one was IGT, and I love IGT, but they just were a different style than I wanted to do because they were really like about cool collages and stuff. They were. They wanted to do a kind of a, a more artistic streak, and I wanted to do like really, you know, cool, straightforward graffiti. Like take the camera and jump into the world, you know, and just be real up close and stuff. And so that's how it always been from day one. Get even ghetto art number one is like nice clear shots, and there's some text around it. You know, we had <laughs> we had some, some corny shit sometimes, but it was just pure from graffiti for graffiti writers. We weren't trying to school, you know, civilians and stuff. And they, um, but yeah, that was the only other one. And then we went color first, or I did, once it became, no, let me think. Ghetto Art 6 was the first magazine in color in the world. So there weren't, and, there weren't any other graffiti zines in L.A. at the time? You guys no, just decided no you should do this? I mean. Yeah. Well, what happened was. Were you making we punk started, rock scenes or anything before this? No, but there is a connection there because I was always down with them. Like, I kept all my flip sides and my slash and Mexican rock and rolls and all those, and I have them going way, way back. So I was definitely into that. That stuff had always been an influence. But I hadn't, I wasn't doing any. And then um, I had always been a photographer and shot a lot of music shows, and, and then I always had a camera when we paint, and... At first, we could get up and, and shit would stay up. And there was a bunch of yards, of course, and and those were those were totally chill and, you know, stuff would stay up forever. There wasn't a lot of people to go over here. And, but as it grew and we started to realize how important the photos were and stuff wasn't staying up. So once we started to see the importance of the photos, um, right about the same time, we started to do some photo trading with people. 
and I know Charlie met like Ket and I met some other people and and so then the photo trading became really important and then we started realizing, well shit, why don't we just put it into a magazine? Hmm. You know? And of course I mean IGT also of course was an influence, but I just wanted to go a different route than their style, but it's you know, it's no diss on them being who they are. Right. So the but first the uh but the first one was us and then the first one in color was us and the first one glossy and I don't I'm not I'm not sure if IGC did interviews. I, I can't say for sure on that, but I know they I don't think I've ever seen any interviews with like full spread out magazine with little photos all around it and text wrapping and all that. Hmm. Like a real magazine, you know, that's what I always wanted to do with graffiti. So uh like the first issue, what did it look like? I mean, what was the format of it? Did you guys run it off on a Xerox machine? What? what no, we always spent some money. We always went through a printer, so it's always been glossy, but the first one was only one, two, three, four. It was four sides, and it was um, black and white. But we always used the real printer, and they folded it and everything. And um Four sides, so it's like an eight and a half by eleven folded in half, or an eleven by seventeen folded in half. Eleven by seventeen. Right. And it was good. It was always really clear layout. You know, it was, there was an article about Clever, the student LA that had died, and there was you know some stuff about Dream, the original Dream from uh, from LA, and it was cool. A couple of like writer shoutouts, and you know, good detail on what flicks were from where. Um, it always had the clarity and like really just pushing graffiti, but it was you know it was limited. It was like only you know a few sides, and and it, we stayed black and white for a long time, and then we just started to slowly add in more pages and more pages, and then I started doing interviews with people. So it was good. It was fun. So the picture quality was always there, but it was black and white. So who's the first interview? And was this was it still ghetto art at this point? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, you're tripping me out. Um, <laughs> yeah, you should get out your get out all your magazines and. You know what sucks is I don't have them all. There's a bunch. I kept thinking, you know, oh yeah, you can have that, you know. Or I moved a couple times. And I lost a few, but so some of the early, early ones, I think I have maybe one copy, and there's like three issues I don't even have a copy of. Oh wow. Well, um, yeah. I mean, you don't. Know, have to answer who the what's what's the first interview you remember? There was I know we interviewed I I interviewed Rise from from LA um, KSN Rise KSN was an early one um, Cav I interviewed Cav I think it was already color though so it was that wait, let me see something here I got some of them here. Ghetto Art. Uh, yeah, Ghetto Art, uh, number six, September, October, 89. That is, that's the first one in color, and there's an interview with Cab that I did. Wow. And it, it's just one page, but it's there's quite a few questions, and there's one, two, three, four, five, six. There's seven pieces, and there's a bunch of whole cars and stuff that he did. So did you, and, I mean, did you do a phone interview? Did you go out and... Or just send no, actually, he came out. I had already been to New York, and I stayed with Ben, and we hung out with Scent and those guys, and I met Cav. And then when Cav came out to L.A., he stayed with me, and then we did the interview then, and he brought a bunch of photos. And then him and I did a bunch of paintings in L.A. and stuff. 
Cool. That was kind of cool. Yeah, it was fun. First time he had been out of New York, so that was cool because he we got to do a lot of painting and what else did some you know tourist shit, which was cool. So it was um, Ghetto Art Six was the last issue of Ghetto Art, right? Yeah. And then um, you changed the name to Can Control. Do you remember how you came up with that name? Yeah, we just always knew that term, you know, to be able to use the can, be able to get the lines and stuff straight. Yeah. And um, so we always played around with that. You know, this guy's got can control, that guy doesn't have can control, you know. <laughs> and um, I think I got it from Dream, though. Dream was fucking around with something, or he was going to, Dream was saying that he was going to do a poster or something that was going to be called can control. And I thought, oh, man, that's killer. Let me use that. And he goes, yeah, go for it. And then... Um, that was, let me see, I think we got the first one here. The first can control, I don't see a date on it, but it has, it's got the Who the Mac, Who's the Mac, I don't know if you ever saw that piece. It was a whole thing for the Ice Cube video, and yeah, then it has an interview with Ven. Um, same thing, it's one page with a bunch of great flakes. And then it also has, um, it's got the Hex and Slick Battle in L.A., uh, the second one. And then the Ghetto Art 6, that I was talking about, it has the first Hex and Slick Battle. So it's cool. Really, you know, great color. There's some good print shops I found in L.A. The color's booming, and it's fun. It's fun to do. And people flipped out. When I first brought that Ghetto Art 6 out, I went to some graph show, and, you know, those people were just flipping out. There was some color. It was really cool. So how many of these things were you making in the very beginning? I mean, were you printing, you know, <laughs> do you remember how many issues, what your circulation was at that point? Yeah, in the, well, in the beginning it was small, we would just do a few hundred, and we sent out probably most of them, there wasn't much money to be made or anything, and then, and then, um, stores started calling, and this one, there was a place called Golden Apple Comics, on Melrose in Hollywood, and they, they really got into it. And then they kept calling, and they'd order 10, and then they'd they call back a week and order 100, and then, you know, it kept growing and growing. They became, like, the main store for a while. I think he was distributing it to other places. And then by the time Ghetto Art 6 popped, I had a good selection of stores, and Tower Records took us. And I started moving a few thousand quickly, and then by the time Ghetto Art 1, it's like... Mm, geez, I don't know, fifteen thousand or something. Hmm, okay. and it, it just kept growing and growing. The last, the last when it was like the my main job and I was really into painting and everything. We were doing I don't know thirty thousand or something. Wow. So it was, it's small in the magazine world, but it's big for the zine world. You yeah. know, and it's, it just self published a couple times a year, and it was fun. So was anyone like seriously helping you, or were you doing this all on your own? No, it was just me. Um, my friend Strip, he, I had him come in and do some work with me on Ghetto Art One. He's a good artist, and um, so he was helping me with some of the cutouts and some of the paste-ups and stuff. But by that time, computers were really, or for me at least, computers were coming on board, and and. Uh, it just, you know, no offense to him, but I just started doing it more and more alone. And so, yeah, I just kept going. And that's probably what 
took so long in between issues, but it was it was fun to do my own thing with it. Yeah. And then I was cooking, and I had a full-time cooking job back then, so it was always busy. So were you trading with a lot of people? Yeah, I was. Bates in Europe, and there was this guy, Pike. I don't know, I'm not sure, sure what happened to him, but then there were a lot of New York kids, and they sent it all those dudes. And then uh, Ben was awesome. And there was a guy, John the Greek, and him and I used to trade photos. Uh, he wasn't even a writer, he just was into it. And so we'd always trade flicks. And there was a guy, Cole, in New York, and then the Frisco guys, Twist, was sending like hand drawings and stuff. Like, I always really drawings of Twist, and he was still a cool guy. And he ended up coming to LA sometimes and we hung out. And there, there in San Jose, and Dream, of course, we chilled with Dream. We did this huge thing. We did this giant ghetto art piece. It was like, I think we used 30 silver cans. <laughs> I think I've seen that. That was, that was awesome. That was huge. And we were all fucked up from it because it was under an awning. I think my brain is gone. And I was not really my brain's here. <laughs> And so it was a lot of, it was cool, man. Everybody was really supportive. You know, it was, I mean, I've, there's always been egos and stuff, but it just didn't feel like it back then, I guess, you know. And, or maybe we were on the right side of the street or something. But they, um, it was good, really supportive crowd. And then, you know, we tried to show same same support back, you know. I never dissed anybody in the mags and stuff. It's just not worth it. You know, I guess the closest thing would be that guy Hex, because this is jumping ahead. But <laughs> Hex had a Hex had a store in L.A. at one point called the Hip Hop Shop, and I brought down magazines for him to buy, and he did. He was one of my stores, and this one Risky who owned Third Rail had run an ad with his chick naked, and he bought the mags, about like 400 mags, stayed up front, and then he glued Bible pages over the naked girl because he was super religious. And that's cool, man. I'm totally down with that. I don't care what you do, but don't censor, you know. Censoring is just not about graffiti. So I guess we just came a little bit in the mag. <laughs> that was uh, not I, the only thing. <laughs> I remember that third rail ad. There's a girl off to the side holding like a, a newsie or something, right? She's holding... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. It was strange, you know, because he's a writer and, you know, Hex is a writer and censorship was just so insane and graffiti doesn't make sense. But, I don't know, I guess he's doing God's work. But that's a long time ago, I'm sure. You know, I don't have any beef with anybody. That's forever ago. But the, (laughs) um, yeah, I just always try to keep it positive and... You know, I mean, there were so many other enemies, too, besides going after writers. It fucking wasn't worth it. You know, the man was painting us, and the cities were going crazy. And, you know, one of the magazines, one of the camp patrols, had, I, my, the whole cover was a shot of the these signs that L.A. were putting up with a graffiti with a line through it, like Ghostbusters. Yeah, I remember that. And graffiti is against the law. And, you know, so there were so many real, real things to battle. And um, L.A. was blessed. Because of the space of the city, there was always spots behind factories and, you know, old abandoned buildings and things that people didn't care if we painted. So 
it made room for a lot of guys to get good and a lot of places to practice and stuff. And um, it was it was our time went to just getting up more than anything. So did you did you ever get um, I guess harassed by you know by people who didn't like the magazine? <laughs> did cops ever come to your house? Did printers ever refuse to to do it or anything like that? No, no, I got I was good there. I got lucky. Um, no, it was always cool that way. Like we got dropped from stores, like Golden Apple. So people scribed his windows, and he got all freaked out and decided to hate a graffiti. And but that was all right because by then we already had a ton of other stores that were picking us up. And um, I had to do some interviews and things with people that are anti graffiti, but it didn't matter. You know, it's on the radio and stuff. Right. You know, just dummies. Huh. But I was trying to, you know, it was funny too because you know you start to get more and more conscious in in other ways, and so it's easy to carry over arguments. You know, so it's like the same time we were coming down on graffiti, it was the same time budgets for art programs and schools are being slashed, and you know, you, as you get older, you start to become more conscious of people's real agendas, and and it was never right wing, you know, absolutely the other direction. Total leftists, and I started to realize, you know, just how fucked up spending was in school programs and art programs and all these things, even that I grew up with, you know, were just disappearing. And you know, and also there's a huge part of it, especially in LA, where it's it's really positive because a lot of the kids that without this kind of graffiti would have just gotten into gangster shit. Um, hello. Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. Oh. Um. They didn't, you know, they went out on their own and got in, became writers. And the city, LA doesn't see the benefit of that, but there is one. You know, they lost a lot of, a lot of, a lot of numbers that guys just would have become gangsters. Hmm. So, um, now at the same time you were painting quite a bit, what, uh, what were the crews that you were with? Tell me, tell me about, you know, CBS, how that, um, well, any cruise, actually. Start from the beginning. Well, Charlie put me down at DTK, but I never I never pushed it. No offense to them. I just... He was just the only one I knew, because, like, the other guys had already stopped writing, Bleaky and them. Oh, I knew Genius, too, but Genius didn't write a lot, because Genius started working for comic books. And so, I, I don't know, I always just felt funny pushing that cruise. I didn't know anyone else, so I never did. But, um... I knew Graham and Plex from Graffiti Forest. I pushed that first summer, and then I got into West Coast Artists through Risky and Can't Be Stopped, CBS, Skate Put Me Down. And then there was New York Crews. Um, I'm in MTK with Ket and AWR, which is Vans Crew, and um, XTC, JA Put Me Down in XTC. And uh, we always messed around with... First, it was SC, which is Second City. We always thought, like, you know, LA was the Second City for graffiti, <laughs> so we used to push SC. Nice. And then also um, CM3 controlled Mayhem, and there were just three of us. So that was just kind of fun, just something to put up. We did that a lot. And then also, um, I, I'm in MSK, but I just don't see anybody because GK lived with us for a while in Seattle, and so he put me down. But that was, there was some politics there, so I don't know. I never really 
pushed it. I, I love those guys, and I'm totally friends with a ton of them, and I like the crew a lot, but there was some politics because, like, they had beef with JA, and I don't know, it just goes on and on. There's a bunch of internal bullshit. And, um, but, you know, I, I definitely support those guys. And I think that's it, but I guess WCA. <laughs> that's a lot of crews, man. Yeah, that's a lot of crews. I don't know, it's funny you see it all spelled out. It looks looks silly. It's, not, it's like, you know, when a lawyer does all that. <laughs> yeah. But the, um, WCA, because Risky and those dudes were, I can't say they're influential because I've never been that good. I've always been up and I've always been good, but not that good. Those guys are, you know, those guys are rock stars. And and so I've always been inspired by them, but I can't say influential because they're better. But it was great to be in, to get put in that crew. Because that was, you know, it's a fun history in L.A. And, and uh, oh, same with CBS is awesome, you know, right in Hollywood. And it's funny, too, because... You know they don't know because they're younger than me, but it's a real, it's a, it's a real continuation of the lads that I was telling you about that punk rock gang in LA and in Hollywood, and but a lot of those guys are friends of friends, and so it's kind of funny. It's funny to see the history of it. Just stand back and look at it, and I, you hear the same thing out of New York, you know, like with all these books coming out of these dudes, the TK, T Kid, and everybody, and the Scent book, and. It's it's funny to see the traditions continue, you know. And your your website too. It's awesome to see that. It's like the energy of everything that has always been graffiti and 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 freight train in general. It's great to see, you know, you continuing it and other people taking it to the new technology. So um, yeah, and I have a lot of questions. So uh, first of all, how did you meet Skate? I mean, he was, I, I guess it's like a big deal for me because I remember the, you know, the can control with, you know, I think the mirror piece that he did on the cover. And yeah. I, mm-hmm. I just remember trying to find out as much as I could about, you know, what actually happened. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you can, tell us, tell us how you met him, tell us what happened, tell us the story. Well, I saw him a few times. There was a wall, it was on Fairfax, um, it was in Redden, Hollywood, and, wait, hold on, one second. Hello? Hello. Hey, sorry about that. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, well, we used to see each other a couple times, and, um, I don't know, it always seemed like in the morning, and you and I would be alone at this yard, so we just started to talk about stuff, and we liked the same music and shit, and... And then we lost touch for a while, like three years. And then I ran into him again, the same thing, started talking. And then he started, you know, realizing I was right in the same neighborhood. And so we started, we went and painted a few times. And we got up, <laughs> got up in midday on the freeway a few times. And uh, we just realized, you know, we're both crazy. And then, so we started to hang out a lot more and then a lot of mirror and, as and is and all those dudes and um and anger and uh so it was cool it just seemed like a good fit and so then they they put me down with cbs and what are you saying about his train accident yeah i mean if 
I don't know how how much you want to talk about it, but um, right. Oh, I mean, it was it was crazy. He, well, let's see. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's ever said this stuff, but I'll. I don't think it's. A, I'll just say it. I don't think it's bad. He had some weird shit happen towards the end. Um, he he was in a restaurant in North Hollywood. He had to get out of Hollywood, and he was living with a girl, and she was just. I think it was a combination of of he had some bad blood, and she wanted to move, and so they moved out to North Hollywood, which is farther than it sounds, and um, he was in this restaurant, and these fucking, like, just, like, hardcore dudes, I don't know if they were tweakers or what, came in with shotguns, and he told me this, I wasn't there, and they we're going to hold up the place. And they shot up into the ceiling and told everyone to get down. And he wouldn't get down. And he was standing there. And they came up and they put the gun to his head. And so he got down finally. And I think it just became, I don't know, I'm trying to think back. And I think, I don't think it fucked with him as much as he just kind of, was feeling maybe like outer body. You know, I think it really was a moment in his life that was like almost outer body. And so hmm. the reason the reason why that always stuck with me, um, I was at home and it was like 2 a.m. when the phone rang and it was circus. And he said, he was crying. And he goes, dude, scared his daddy, got hit by train. And... And I was like, what are you fucking talking about? And he said that they had just got done painting and he um, had stayed on this one lane that was, it was the three lane, it was the Amtrak straight lane and it was no, there was no um, side rails or anything for it. And so he was standing in that lane to, to get a flick and the soundtrack's coming through, and he just, you know, was just not moving. And it wasn't like he was, he didn't kill himself, but the way they described it, it just immediately reminded me of that, you know, that fucked up thing in the restaurant. And what I mean is, you know, uh, a real ability, I think, to kind of, you know, float out of wherever he's at and look at maybe like you know examine hmm. the you know do you know I don't know if that makes any sense yeah, at all I, I don't mean, know if I'm, it makes I don't know if I'm totally me, but you know I don't mean to ramble about it it just it seems it just seems so fitting to graffiti writers because that's kind of like what it always is you know you're you're just you're getting in and out, no one sees you, and, you know, your stuff is up, and, you know, they have to fucking deal with it, and, and, you know, it's such, it's such instant, at the same time, it's, you know, it's, it's so much longevity, and, I don't know, first, to me, it always seemed, it always seemed connected, wow. like, you know, he had that ability to really kind of float through, 
And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's any more connection than that. It just really seemed like something. And that was the timing because I think the shooting at that restaurant was only like a month or so before the train. And, you know, there's two ways to go about this. You're either like totally amped up and you're, you know, climbing over shit to go bomb or you're just, or you're just kind of like floating through like, you know, you're almost like invisible. There's two type of writers and I can skate at a little bit of both. Wow. So, um, jeez, I don't really know where to go from there. <laughs> I don't either. I never thought about it. What are you doing to me? <laughs> yeah, sorry, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking me up. The interview and, got all uh, heavy all of a sudden. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it was a good thing, though, too, because, I mean, he had such a great life and such a full life, and, you know, he called it, he was in the punk, and he was in the hip-hop, and, you know, and he was a big dude, you know, he got respect, and, you know, he was killer, he was a super nice guy, you know, and, uh, but I think, you know, I think he was tuned into that, same kind of, I don't know, you can't really look for those moments, but it's what people make with them, you know, what they do with them when it happens. So how did the, um... I mean, I, it's, it's weird that I'm like, you know, I even know about it, like, because of your magazine, I guess, I feel like, well, I feel like that issue, at least, was a real tribute to him, and so, um, yeah, I mean, how, how did, like, the L.A. scene react? What was the aftermath of it? Well, they tripped, you know, it was really, it was a trip on a lot of levels, because, excuse me. He was, you know, totally one of ours, of course, and um, same age group, same influences, same timeline and getting into it. And But there's also this other strange element to it because we didn't have a train system and we didn't have a subway. And so all of the years of hearing stories of dudes having trouble in subway tunnels, you know, we never could really truly relate. So we, didn't, we never dealt with it. And then now here comes along this new movement of the freight trains and the dude gets killed. So it was weird. It was kind of like graffiti. It was like, you know, now we have all elements of graffiti, even, even a dangerous thing to paint. And, you know, before that, it was the only, I guess the only real danger were cops and cholos. And, um, so strange, it added something that I never had before. Hmm. So, I mean, that, when was well, that, that? I think, it, and I think it, I, that probably is a good thing because it, LA, I mean, there was a lot of obstacles. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm minimalizing it by saying just gangsters and cops, but, you know, we, in a lot of, a lot of respects, especially the early years, we had it kind of easy because the city didn't really know about us and, there was a lot of spots to kind of do it legally and, um, or at least where nobody cared. And, you know, his death and the freight trains in general and hearing stories of raids at yards and bulls and stuff. And, you know, it's like kind of like all these years later, all these people have put in all this sweat and blood and, you know, and everything that we got, we had finally out of nowhere, we're, we're even more like New York than ever. Hmm. So it was kind of strange, and I think, I think his death had a lot. Well, it did have a lot to do with it. 
Because his was, as far as I know, and maybe there's just brothers I've never heard about, but as far as I know, his was the first graffiti death like that, where, you know, it wasn't some fucker died by shooting or, you know, a dude was trying to score at the same time he was getting up or whatever. It was, you know, his, his was just straight, old-school graffiti death, train hit you. And, you know, those, those stories are so legendary out of New York. Hmm. Wow. When when and, did Muir uh, uh, do that do that piece do that portrait of him? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, it was right after. There was a big funeral. We had a nice service and stuff, and at least one for the masses. I think his family had one too. And um, so it was. It was right after, pretty close to it. Uh, so I felt like I think the mural was up at the end of '93. Something maybe beginning in '94 or something like that. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing. <laughs> if you decide it's not appropriate, we can we can cut it out. But um, I actually have an I have an article that was in the newspaper about it. I don't know if it was in L.A. Times or something, and they. I think the article said that it was Crash who got hit or something. Or his crash who died, or oh right, oh yeah, you know what? You're right. That's funny. I never saw that, but he had done a crash piece. That's why the confusion. He, um, I think, crash had moved to Florida or something, and he was putting him up. Um, and so there was people did think it was it was someone else, and that's what the article talks about. Yeah, it just, um, I mean, the article just talks about, you know, how a graffiti writer was was struck by a train, and, I mean, but it, it said right after he had finished the, you know, they called it, they called him Crash, so. Oh, weird. That's funny. Yeah, I, I had heard that before. I, I forgot until you said that, but I, yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure that's what the story was. He had just done a Crash piece, um. Yeah, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm just reminiscing in my head, but I, I just, I feel like there's some connection to just the way his last few months had gone. But, mm. I mean, he was never a dummy, you know. He was never a dummy. He was never into hard drugs. Maybe just weed, and he, I never remember him taking fucking psycho chances, so that's what made me think of the connection of just maybe, you know, moving in a different way on the open lane. But, I mean, you know how it is. They... Those trains are cra- the yards are crazy because every unless you're next to the train or behind the train or they're blowing their horn, but a lot of times they're almost silent. Yeah. And if you're in front of you know if you're if you're in front of it, it's easy to lose track of just how close it is to you. There you know all all the sound is behind it. It's moving so fast, or or they're just you know those when they do that gravity connection to make the to make the lines. I'm not sure where you're where you're at, but they over here they have this little hill and they'll let a boxcar go and it just glides in and connects with the other ones. Hmm. Yeah. And you know those are crazy. We've had to jump a few times. Wow. Okay. Well, um, I guess on on a slightly lighter note. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, what? Tell me about the move from LA to Seattle. 
was born and raised down there, and just kind of got bored. And I had <laughs> wanted, I just wanted to try something different. And I had some family in a small town up here. They moved. They followed some work with my family, and uh, I couldn't do that. I wasn't going to go to that place. So I said, "Well, fuck it. Let's try Seattle." And it was cool, you know. It was just city enough, you know, and just country enough, and great, great trains. I was really paying a lot of trains in, and and it was cool. And I I figured out which ones went where. There's a there's a ton of north and south traffic into Canada, but then I found out where all the um, the fish and salmon trains going east um, part, and so that was awesome. So then. For catching flicks from New York, that was the spot, and then also getting, you know, hitting those so that they went to New York across the country. That was, there was a lot of that. And they have, um, there's a, there's an east and west roundabout that I found, and um, that was perfect because it was like almost everything was lined up where it was going to go. There was all these Canadian trains that were taking lumber north, and and then I found all these refrigerated cars that were going east for the fish. And it was just like this supermarket. That was awesome. And uh, at first, they were really behind in knowing, you know, anything about graffiti. I don't know if they know. But maybe they know more now. I'm not sure. But it was easy to get up and stuff. And the yards, there was a bunch of yards that were just super chill. Hmm. So is, is this around the... Well, I remember the first, you know, the all freight issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was after you moved to Seattle, right? No, this, the first one I was still in L.A. The uh, all freight trains, number one, I'm still down there. And then that that was supposed to happen a year before. Hold on one second. Mm-hmm. Sorry, brother. I got a little cold. Um, that was, yeah, but, uh, let me think. I can't remember the year, but New York had this crazy snowstorm. And it was a crazy winter. And so, Scent and Cav and a bunch of dudes who were getting up to Lot Key and some of those guys, they said, you know, can you hold off? Don't do it. Yeah, we're going to send you flicks. We're going to send you flicks. We've been hitting freights. And so I waited until so I think it was that spring. And then that was the first freight train, um, the first train issue. And then the second one was after I moved up here. And that was cool because uh, that's when G- GK was living with us. And and so um, Hayes and Havoc and a bunch of dudes from MSK and KYT or something, I can't remember. They all came up. And it was cool. So we got we did a bunch of stuff. And Hayes had been going nuts. I think Hayes is like 2,000 freight by then or something. He had been going absolutely crazy. And uh, so that was cool. It was cool to be interviewed. And um, then that was the same. The, the city had a lot of plans to do some developing and run some major train yards. And, but the city stayed forever to get stuff done, which was great for us. They left a lot of spots where... <laughs> You know, the lights were set perfect, and you know, 
it was funny too. We found these yards where these trains were. They'd come in on barge um, from Alaska, and then they would go and pick up fish or drop off fish, and they'd do all these things. And and so we would paint them, and um, no one ever painted over it because it was right onto a boat and back up to Alaska. Huh. It was kind of awesome. I don't know who the fuck saw it, but it was cool for us. <laughs> and um, they were blue, too. They were just chiller, like, navy blue. And it was great. It really helped the paint nice. And then, you know, graffiti, I mean, it always looks the best on metal. And um, so that was cool for for the first scene. That was kind of like going back to what I was saying about skate. It's like, you know, now that we had trains, it was kind of, we found it probably became a second city. We got to paint on metal, and you know, the whole deal was awesome. Yeah. It felt, you know, it felt full circle. And then, the fact that, you know, right around that same time, maybe a little bit before, this New York got so serious about getting rid of graffiti on subways, so it was just, you know, it was perfect. And uh, Roger's book is good. It's good at showing that continuation, you know, it's like, He's got Zephyr and Pink and all those people. They're talking about it. it was great to just move over to this new type of train. Right. Which is cool, because we're the same way. <clears throat> I mean, there was a lot of stuff that we bombed. Like, LA freeways were just destroyed. There's IFK, the International Freeway Crew, and, you know, Interstate Freeway Crew. And um, right before freight, that was the thing. There was all these sound walls that were just killed every year by us. And, uh, and then the fit stuff. We started realizing the fit stuff was cool. And then um, Utah, the Coors, I think it's the Coors, or maybe it's the Budweiser place in Utah. Um, that was influential because those writers um, were writing the Cane Control, and then they kept saying that they were seeing our stuff, and then we realized that the Budweiser yard by us we're running product straight to Utah hmm. and, and vice versa. And then we started to learn more about their names and stuff. And then, yeah, sure enough. And then the same thing in New York. But Do you remember think, who those yeah, people was, were? Do you remember who in Utah was, was writing to you? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's where the mag started. So. Oh, yours did? Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, that 801? Yeah. So I know all the, I know, oh. know all the old Utah kids. Oh, sweet. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I didn't know where 801 was. Um, no, but you know what? I'm a, I keep everything. So I got letters. I can, I can do some research down the road and let you know. Yeah, that'd be... I keep everything. I mean, okay. Yeah, I'll, do, <laughs> I'll figure that out. Of course, you know, you'll get it in five years, but... <laughs> no, I'll figure it out. There was another one, too. It was Colorado. Um... Man, there was a store. I want to say like Confusion or something. Um, uh, I think I, I know the store, but I can't think of the name either. Probably because you just yeah. said Confusion. That dude was cool, and um, he was the same thing. He had connections to Utah, and he was talking about that. And uh, they, um, but yeah, yeah. But anyways, yeah, there was uh, there was. We started to realize the the beer connection was a big one. And then it was the same thing. Like we started getting letters from farm areas or I did start getting letters from farm areas where like, I think the connection there was they were picking up the hops. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's, I think all of this, you know, this web of the beer world became important to our Budweiser yard. Nice. You know, which is funny. I know, it's a crack. And I think the same thing with the bottling, because we started seeing stuff from the south. And um, I think it was like where they were getting the bottles and shit from. And that was kind of funny. And um, Cav's got some quotes in Roger's book where he's talking about, like, he would see our trains in New York and then vice versa. And so we started to realize, yeah, this is so fucking cool. And they weren't going over anything. And then we painted, um, we painted, there was a yard, there's a big, long set off of Budweiser Yard that, um, I know who's in here, <laughs> um, that it goes, like, I think it's triple tracks, and then it goes into another yard um, for some part of Chevrolet. Excuse me, some part of Chevrolet. And we were in there. It was me and Risky and Strip during the day. And this truck pulled in, and the guy jumps out. And he goes, so you guys are the ones. And we're there, you know, he's just alone. <laughs> we're like, oh, we could take him. And then we're like, yeah, I guess so. And he goes, we love it. Yeah. Just don't go over the numbers, all right? <laughs> just, that just kills us. Don't go over the numbers, but we dig it. And so we like, okay, and then he took off, so we just kept paying, but you're right, and it's so different from nowadays. But, you know, I think kids start breaking into them and shit. I don't know this for a fact, but I know, like, we would come over to Budweiser, and hobos and shit were breaking into the box stairs trying to get beer. And then we thought, oh, man, they're going to blame us, watch. And then sure enough, it just started getting hotter and hotter. Hmm. But they also, they... I think there was some of the carryover stuff, too, because everybody started getting up on the buildings. Right. And so then, you know, that always kills it. Cool. Well, um, well tell me about tell me about Val. When did you start writing that? Um, yeah. Oh, the Val stuff? Yeah. Um, oh, God. <laughs> I, can't rem- I can't remember. But, I mean, it was such a cheating name. I like, I dig the letters and stuff and I like, the, I like doing that name, but, um, it's such, it's such a, it's like a cop out because the V was pretty much the same as the W and it was just me being lazy. <laughs> and, uh, but it was fun. It was fun to do it. There's another kid out of like San Jose that does it. He rocks it. He's really good. Um, he took the name, but, um, in the beginning it was fun. Uh, when did I do that? It was up here. Um, I don't remember the year, but I did a lot of those. I think I may have done more of those on Freights and Power. Yeah, I've I've caught I've probably caught more vows than Powers on trains. There was a bunch, and that was also you know once I started really like I was telling you I started finding more and more of the perm spots up here, and that's when the I was doing more vows. But it was um. I never, it wasn't from ever having to go underground or anything like that. It was just, just to have fun, try something different. And then those letters went really smooth. It was just all up and down straight letters practically, so you could do a lot of them faster. Hmm. So, um, this is kind of a, an obligatory question, but, uh, do you have any chase stories or any, uh, I guess not necessarily only chase stories, but any, like, really memorable stories <laughs> it can either be chase stories or just kind of the opposite where you just had ideal conditions and everything was great right um I'm in the laundry room sorry um 
think. Well, there's a lot of both. Like, there were some spots where we found a bunch of warehouse spots, and they had the the ramps, so we could do some bigger stuff. Like, I did a huge bow, and then Gank and Havoc did, like, top to bottoms, and that was at that spot. And they had a night watchman, and so we... I found this little door that led underneath the ramp and, like, into some kind of a storage area. So we had to chill in there a few times and just, like, hide out. And, but, no, it was always pretty chill. Uh, we got chased at Budweiser, but nothing major. Um, subways. I came to New York a few times, and we got chased one time there, but it was it was still pretty cool. Uh, I've been lucky, knock on wood. I've been really lucky. And then... The 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 perfect settings. Those are, there was a lot of those. Like Charlie, Dream, and myself. Um, there was just this brand. Were, like every car was brand new. It was just like perfect, and they were all smooth sides. None of them were the ridge. And we did. I think we each did six pieces. And I have them all. I went back. I was able to shoot them all um, connector, so it's almost like a whole train. Hmm. And um, that was that was pretty fucking awesome. And then yeah, it was good. You know, I always had it pretty mellow. I always had it pretty mellow. But we were also really careful. Like climbing in and stuff is smart, of course. You know, it's quicker and all. But if you take your time and you you know, you really find just good, safe ways in and out. It, it's always the best because you don't have to worry about getting caught on a fence or something. And, and also going up on a fence, obviously, is when you're way up in the fucking sky. So it's easier to be seen. And and so we, especially with Strip, him and I would clip fences and stuff and find ways in and try to always go in through bushes and stuff. So it was, you know, just try to be a little smarter, take our time with it. We probably painted a lot less because of that. But then, you know, never got caught, never got chased, really. Nothing major, at least. So, do you have any idea how many trains you you were able to paint? How many panels you have running? I don't. I wish it was more. <laughs> I mean, you never... There's so many nights. You know, it's the same old story, you know. Ah, oh, there's always tomorrow, there's always tomorrow. You know, you get busy with some other shit or real life stuff, and... I don't know. I, that's a good question. Hold on, just hold on, just a second. Hey. Hey. Well, we can we can wrap this up. This I promise you, it'd be short, and it's not turned out so <laughs> well, short. I keep blabbing and blabbing. You no, know? I I appreciate it. This has been <laughs> this has been exactly what I wanted. So. um I appreciate it. But um, tell me, and, you know, I can include this or not include it, whatever you want, but, I mean, you were also selling tips. You were selling, like, was Silver's? That was yours, right? That was mm-hmm. your little venture? What what happened with that? Well, I had always done um, a bunch of Krylon gear, and but then I was afraid of getting cut. Um, so I never put can control on it. And so... Um, I always wanted to keep the mag separate, so then I started Silver's, because we were painting so much back then with Silver, and it was just like, I don't know if people use that phrase anymore, we used to always say, yeah, let's go bust some Silver's, 
And um, and it lasted for a while. It was cool. Um, the mag, the mag, and the little side stuff was my only job for like ten years. Like I cooked in the beginning, but then I left that. And um, and then I just sort of closed shop. Some family stuff happened, and um, they ended up having to get real work and stuff after that. And but it was man, it was a great. It was you know such a great ride, and I. It's still around. I'm going to do another one this coming year, and you know, I still try to do some stuff on web, but just a little bit here and there, and sell back issues and things. And I mean, I never tried to get rich. It was just about getting shit out there. It was always cheap prices, and um, so it was good. And I just pushed the money back into the mag, and kept trying to add pages, and you know, get better printing and stuff. And I did a poster once and you know we used the money to go travel and went to Frisco a lot to paint and take flicks and went to New York a lot and um but yeah it was cool and a lot of the stuff I still have you know I still kept a few of each design so it's funny to look back they're pretty corny and like <laughs> I had this scene um scene from New York set this ad it's an ad in one of the old ghetto arts in black and white it's so funny. It was like it's called Scene World, and these drawings are just so old school. They're hilarious. I gotta, I gotta put it out someday just to look back on old things. It'd be fun. I should. I don't have any money for a book, but it'd be fun if somebody had money. There's, I just I've kept everything over the years, and uh, also sketches. I got a bunch of black books and stuff from dudes, and and ones that people just got up in my my black books and. It'd be fun to put all that in the convention someday. Excuse but, uh, yeah, Silver's, Silver's lasted for a little while. And then also I just did cane control stuff. And my friend Dante, he uh, moved to L.A. from New York. He's staying out with recent dudes, And he had a really cool old school style. And so he busted, like, the word graffiti and a couple of things from me over the years. So, you know, messed around with it on shirts. So, just um, real basic. So what's uh, what are you doing now? Have you kept in touch with all these guys? I mean, a little bit, a little bit more like in writing. You know, we'll do drop emails and stuff. But I don't know. I lost touch with a lot of people. Um, frame, talk to frame sometimes, and um, talk to cat sometimes, and I don't know. Just. No, it's funny. I, I guess I put everything away, but I, it doesn't feel like it on this side. But I, at the same, I realize it also. I mean, clearly, I'm not involved as I used to be. And um, but I kept shooting, you know. And there's clips everywhere. And then now it's digital and so much stuff on my computer. And then once in a while, like for you, a few months ago, I went through some old mags, and so once in a while, I'll be motivated with cool stuff. Like I love your website, and so it's fun to find you flicks. And then. Um, the every moments like that, Roger had written about some some stuff and like for his freight book, I I like his freight book a lot. It's awesome and uh, but I didn't I didn't. He caught me in one of those moments like you did, where I just didn't have time to dig through negatives. So I ended up just sending him a box of flicks that happened to be laying around, and he got a lot of cool ones out of there. But um, it's not even. <laughs> It's not even close to what's in my negatives. There's like all these ones I've, 
uh, you know, back then when it was still film, you remember, I'm sure it's, you know, you print one, maybe doubles, and then you go back and you, you know, you pick a couple of the superstar shots to send out for trading, but you leave, you know, seven other, other ones that are just awesome that are in between shots. And, uh, so those, those are sitting, I got notebooks, pretty organized in that way. Hmm. And, and uh, preserving it all and keep it all dark and, you know, they're all in notebooks and plastic and stuff. But they be fun to get into them someday. Maybe I'll just keep doing it little by little, do another freight train issue or something. I hear some good things, and I've sent a couple book proposals here, okay, but not very much. I don't know how to do that shit. And uh, so we'll see. Maybe someday. Roger keeps talking about trying to do something someday, but I don't know. I don't my life continuing. <laughs> It'd be yeah. fun, though. It'd be fun. You know, you know, the other thing I've always kept is um, I have all the original paste-up boards from when the magazine was shot that way. Yeah. And so it's cool. You know, it just adds so much element. It doesn't, you know, just looking at flicks. And I also never, um, it was rare that I would do a whole page of just one photo. And so it's, there's a lot of shots um, that have great detail. It'd be fun to see them blown up. But you know, some someday we'll see. So, are there any someday. any sort of immediate plans? I mean, anything, any next things that uh, people can look forward to? I guess. <laughs> um, I'm hoping to do an issue. I'm, I want to do one. Um, I don't know, first of the year. Um, I guess that's it. I mean, I got a little, you know, a couple little websites, but. I just don't have a lot of time to put to put into them. I want to do a lot more, and um, but like the back issues and stuff are cool. They're you know they're it's like everything that you and I have been talking about. They're right. They all it's all encapsulated in every issue. Yeah. Which is you know which is really kind of cool and um, it's different. The um, the freight stuff I love, but the freight stuff. Is um, it still looks like it always has? I don't mean styles, but you know, a freight train is a freight train with something on it. And so it's funny, you know, as much as I love it, it's 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 hard to see. It's like not dated. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like the subway stuff, obviously, is dated. It's not up. They don't do that anymore. You know, and then you see like these old school names on a wall. And they're dated because, you know, they're dead or I mean, who knows what. But um, the freight stuff's funny. And as much as I love it, it's like you see like a close-up of a caboose. And it could be any year <laughs> yeah. or any city, which I think is good. You know, I think it's a, I think it's kind of a cool thing. It's like a really, like, pure way to see graffiti. It's not, it's not connected to a bunch of side bullshit. Huh, that's... And, um, and I think uh, I think it's a good way to see it. It's almost like a canvas, you know. It's like this perfect canvas that it doesn't. It's not dated at all. It's just there it is. And um, and but then of course styles change. And Myth and some of those guys are awesome. And like like Kid Valley, like and I mean, there's so many. And there's a lot of writers that were really good. And they started to do a few trains, and then they just fell off. We drew in LA and a bunch of people, and you know, it was really. It's fun to see the styles change. And now, God, I, mean, I don't even know how they get those fucking pieces so small. It's like these kids have crazy control. 
<laughs> it was just so fun to see. I mean, some of these pieces, they're underneath the numbers. They're so tiny. They're barely, like, on the second run of the ladder, and they're, like, a full burner. Hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it was, I wanted to ask sort of what you think about, I guess, the graffiti world now. I love it. I, I, I don't... I guess, I mean, I'll, clearly I'm out of it more than I used to be, but I, um, it seems easy to just enjoy it. Because there's, you know, the freights come through and, and you know, your site and, and unit site and some of those web things are great. You just, you just get on it and you just you know, totally get a feel of it. It's like, you know, YouTube's that way for music. If you hear an English mm-hmm. band, everything's on YouTube, so you can just plug it in. It's like this great jukebox and and your site and unit site and some of the others, it's it's fun that way. The same thing for graffiti. If you want to check it out, it's it's right there. And you just flip it on. It's like you're sitting there. It's so killer. And it's <laughs> booming color. You know, it's so bright and and it's really cool. And it's such a great technology. And uh, <laughs> it's so much better for the kids They're waiting around for power to put a magazine out. <laughs> Taking forever between issues and. Um, you know, you have to go to, go to the store, or you're waiting for a book, and, you know, it's so much, it's so cool, and it's just on the front computer. And, you know, and then now there's so many crazy styles, and, and dudes are doing, like, top to bottoms, like, it's no problem, and it's really cool. Really, really cool. Wow. And I put the numbers back in, which I did, and, like, Ken's, I've seen, I saw Ken's piece recently, and there's a few things, and, Pretty fun. Cool. Well, I, I think that's all my questions, actually. Um, I, I'm sure I'll think of others later, and I'll be pissed because I missed my opportunity. But um, is there anything you want to say in closing? Um, everybody, check out um, whatever Golden Spike's doing. And they're definitely showing what's new and, and old at the same time to get trustworthy site and uh, I'm sorry it took so long for us to hook up for the interview I wasn't trying to be a fucking cool dude I just been swamped with real life and <laughs> hope I didn't ramble too much I'm probably still doing it nice. but it's uh, it's fun to think about graph and I never get a chance to so I really appreciate being asked to, to do the interview because it's, it's one of those side things in my brain that I just don't ever get a chance to talk to dudes about so it was really it was fun well, good. I'm I'm glad. Yeah, I, it's exactly what I wanted. So, I I really appreciate you taking time. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, brother. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. I'll talk to everybody. Bye.